We have a few announcements before we get started today. One, we had a, an amazing fall party yesterday. It was, yes, very awesome. And I was talking with Justice, and we were trying to figure out the different people we needed to acknowledge. And the list got so long, I was like, Justice, that's like an, a sermon in itself. Um, seriously, it was really long, and there was a lot of people. So we're going to just acknowledge one person who oversaw the entire event for us, and that is Lorreen Kelly. So give it up for Lorreen. Awesome job, Lorreen. Don't, don't try to deflect the credit, okay, Lorreen? Don't try to deflect it. Mark, you know, okay, we'll give it up for them as well. That's good. That's good. But for the record, Lorene says that after every time she had something up to me. She always says, no, no, not me. So I do appreciate her humility. But she did an amazing job. That was a lot, a lot, a lot of work organizing that and all the administration. So thank you, Lorene, and everybody else. Second, we have a new members class coming up. Uh, let's see, what's today? The 10th, the 11th is tomorrow. So a week from tomorrow, we have a new members class. Uh, if you are interested in finding out more about Liberty, what membership entails, and all those things, that will be a week from tomorrow uh, at my wife and I's house. We have dinner, and then we just have uh, a time of just going over some different things. So talk to Justice or me if you are interested in being a part of that. Then finally, I know Justice has been promoting the reality conference um, quite a bit. We're taking off almost in like a month and a couple days, I think. So if you remember, though, I think our first reality conference, which back then they called it something different, um, was like four to five years ago. And we woke up at, I don't know, what time was it? Like, it was way early. I thought it was earlier, but okay. We left at like four or five in the morning to head to Dallas. We had some big vans. We rode on the outside of the, out of the vans, like uh, Rethink or Bust or something like that. So anyway, um, this past week, Greg Kokel, who, who oversees that ministry, he's the president of Stand or Reason, um, and he has a podcast, he has a broadcast that reaches tens of thousands of people. Guess what? He gives us a shout out on that podcast. So I just wanted us to listen to that clip. It's just like 15 or 20 seconds because it's just kind of cool. So if we have that queued up, we'll go ahead. I remember uh, four or five years ago in, in uh, Dallas, the Dallas, what we called Rethink at the time, that, yep. uh, that uh, there was a group that left St. Louis. We had pictures of them that they, you know, they posted online. It was O Dark Thirty, you know, and there were a couple of big vans, and they had signs that said uh, "Rethink or Bust" or "Dallas or Bust" or something <laughs> like that. It was really yeah. cool. So anyway, <clears throat> I thought that was pretty cool for us to get a shout out four or five years later. He still remembers us. Yeah, he gave us a shout out four or five years ago. And this guy who was talking um, had, had said, hey, I'm from St. Louis. And he's like, St. Louis? He's like, are you the group that came? And the guy wasn't. I was like, he better not claim credit, but that was us. <laughs> so anyway, we're heading back. This time we're going up to Minnesota. And um, we're going to take some more pictures of, of our vehicles and make sure Greg knows that, that we're there. You can say something. You, okay. You made sure they knew it was Liberty, not that random guy from St. Louis. There's still one or two spots left, but the price just doubled. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, open to 2 Thessalonians. 
Starting in verse 4, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we also pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who saves, that you are a God who redeems us, that you are a God who is mighty, that your hand reaches out and grabs us from the pit and the mud and the muck and the mire. And you shower us with your mercy and grace. You cleanse us and you call us your own. God, we have so much to be grateful for. You're blessing us and you're blessing us and you're blessing us. We thank you for the fall party yesterday and the gospel going forth to literally hundreds of people. So I pray, God, that, that those seeds would be planted and you would grow and bear much fruit from them. Thank you for the different conversations and the outreach that happened yesterday. Thank you for all the people that put in so much time. Bless them for their time, God. Lord, bless our journey in about a month as we go up to uh, Minneapolis and to the Reality Conference that our youth and the chaperones going would be strengthened in their faith, God, that we would uh, continue to um, instill in our youth a love for you a true love for you, God, that you wouldn't just grab their minds, but you'd grab their hearts as well and have them be completely devoted to you. Lord, we want to pray your blessing upon the children starting the practice for the Christmas musical. Let that go well. We'll have different family and friends coming to see that, and we pray then as your gospel goes forth that it also would go and do its work in the, in the hearts of people. And Lord, let your gospel do its work in us as well. Continue to remind us of the sweetness of it, of the beauty of it, of the power of the, of the gospel that you give to us. You are mighty and you are gracious. Continue to do your work, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I want to talk about today is, is we need to do uh, a better job of developing a theology of suffering. Now, when I talk about a theology of suffering, what do I mean by that? Like, when, we, when I talk about a theology of whatever, like if you have a theology of work or a theology of friendship, it's essentially like, what does God say on that subject? So in terms of developing it, it's not that we need to make one up. We need to recognize what the theology of suffering is and then bend our hearts to that and believe it. Because some believers say that suffering is not of God. And I would disagree. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We might be jumping around today some. 1 
1 Peter chapter 4. This passage, which I'll refer to later, ties in directly with the passage in 2 Thessalonians. And it says in verse 17 of 1 Peter 4, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is hardly saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did you catch what it said at the end there? Let those who suffer according to what? God's will. Those who suffer according to God's will. So it can indeed be God's will for us to suffer. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, we're not going to turn to it, talks about that. It, it, it says we're, we're, we're destined for this, for affliction. And even if you think about Old Testament and New Testament characters, I mean, what's the classic example of suffering in terms of a person in the Old Testament? Job, right? Right? Did he suffer? Yeah. Anyone want to take Job's place? No. No. But some of us end up in Job-type situations. Okay? So you have Job. Even in the New Testament, you actually have examples of people that had sicknesses or ailments or suffered. I mean, the Thessalonian church were learning. Did they go through some suffering? Yeah. Can you read through Acts even but a chapter or two and not see that the early church suffered, that affliction was put upon them, that they were persecuted? Over and over again, we see that there is suffering. Sometimes it comes directly from the hand of God. Sometimes he indirectly allows it. Even if you think about some, someone like Timothy, what is Timothy told by Paul in 1 Timothy? Turn there because I want you to see it. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. This is Paul instructing Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine. By the way, this is like the Baptist's least favorite verse, okay? <laughs> no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, okay? Frequent ailments that Timothy was dealing with. I guess he just didn't have enough faith, right? Didn't have enough faith. No. Timothy, come on. If that was the case, would, would, would Paul be like, hey, drink a little wine to help you out because you don't have enough faith? No, he'd, he'd rebuke him for his lack of faith, right? Right? So it's not just for his stomach, but your frequent ailments. What about Epaphroditus? You're like, who's that? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Look at Philippians chapter 2. He says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Man, that is a mouthful, but look at all the stuff that Epaphroditus is doing, right? Did you catch all those things? Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister to my need. I mean, Epaphroditus, that's kind of a mouthful to say. I mean, people name their kids Paul, Timothy. Why do they name them New Testament stuff? But Epaphroditus, he doesn't get any love, you know? Any chance, McNeil's, that maybe you could make a little change with the baby there and Epaphroditus? Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll chew on it a little bit. But, but John's the front runner right now. All right, so he goes on. Minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. 
Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Think about that for a minute. Why would Paul be like, oh, I'd have sorrow upon sorrow? Well, because Epaphroditus might have died, right? Right? And we just read all the things that, that Epaphroditus does, even for Paul. But sorrow upon sorrow, why would that even be necessary? Because Paul could have just prayed for him and healed him. But God didn't see fit to do that, right? Right? Okay, we need a little more interaction today, okay? Not letting it go today. Because I want you all to hear this. This is important stuff. Some of you are suffering. Some of you have frequent ailments. God sees fit, at least for this season, to let that continue on. We don't know why in his sovereignty that occurs. We don't. Why questions are very, very hard to answer. What we are called is to trust and to obey and to walk in obedience. Sometimes God chooses to heal. Praise God. He does it, right? Amen. And until he tells us not to pray for healing, we'll keep praying for healing, right? But even Paul himself, right? What did he have in his side? The thorn, right? Different ideas that people have on what that is. But he had a thorn. Did God take it away? Did he take it away? Okay, he didn't take it away. So sometimes God, in his sovereignty, sees fit to leave things in their place. We don't like that all the time. But what we need to do is we need to submit to it, understand, and trust. Sometimes the thorn is from God. Sometimes he just lets it be there because he knows it's for our good and it's for his glory. Listen, friends, if, if we want to live lives where God I mean, do you want to live a life where God's getting glory? Okay, because we say that. We're like, yeah, I want to live a life that God gives glory. But maybe God wants to get glory through your suffering. Maybe God wants to get glory through your affliction. Maybe you bring greater glory to God through the things that he lets happen to you, directly or indirectly. Have you ever thought about that? That's part of the theology of suffering. Yes, he uses it for our good. Yes, he uses it to draw us to him. Yes, he uses it to refine us. But we, if, we want, if we want to make a theological statement, I want God to get glory in my life, then we better be prepared to walk that out and live it faithfully. And that includes a proper understanding of suffering in our life. Not that person's life over in Asia or India or wherever, Egypt, Ethiopia. No, right here. Right here with us. A proper understanding of suffering. So I, I, I get it. You know, what happens is people face suffering in their lives, and they feel God's let them down. Or he's not there for them. What, what are they saying in reality is, what? God shouldn't allow me to suffer. God shouldn't allow me to suffer. At least, God shouldn't allow me to suffer like this. We don't get to define the terms of our relationship with the Lord. We don't get to define the terms of how we walk out our faith with Jesus. Here's the other thing, and this is very important, especially if you guys, some of you deal with frequent ailments or sufferings. You have to remember this. We must distinguish between temporal suffering and eternal suffering. That is very important. That is part of the theology of suffering. Our suffering, whatever it may be, however long it might feel, is temporal. It has a season to it. That suffering, as a believer, will at some point come to an end. Now, it might be a very long season. Perhaps, 
for some people, you have great saints of old, even someone like Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, you know, it was said that, that he dealt with great depression. Did that affect his ministry? In some ways, it did. Hopefully, it made his ministry better. Dealt with great depression, also dealt with some physical ailments. To the end. Uh, Amy Carmichael, to the end, dealt with physical suffering. In part, it's what made those saints to be who they are. So, we must distinguish between temporal suffering and eternal. So, that temporal in the life of the believer is a temporal thing. It will come to the end. Maybe it won't come to the end until your end on this earth comes, but it's temporal. So, when we, when we look at that, we have to remember, for the believer, worst case scenario, temporal suffering. And what does God talk about in 2 Corinthians? Like, our light momentary affliction right now pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us. So you, you got to see it in, in, in the proper perspective. Yes, the suffering, it, it is very real. It's painful. It hurts. It's horrible. It's awful. But then we have to see it from God's point of view. According to him, it is a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. So what awaits all believers is not an eternal suffering, but an eternal glory. So remind yourselves of that. Have the lens of Scripture when you think about the different situations and the sufferings that you're going through. This can apply to physical ailments. This can apply to, to spiritual oppression that you might experience. This can apply to persecution put on from unbelievers towards us. Have the proper perspective. Have the long view that God has this from beginning to end. Even if, we, if, if, if your parents just think about it from that perspective, like have any of you brought about temporal suffering for your children? Hey, remember I said this was like a back and forth today. Come on. So you brought about temporal suffering for your children in various ways. But you wouldn't dream of eternal suffering for them, right? That's the farthest thought from your mind but temporal suffering for various reasons, hopefully good ones. Okay, that kind of leads me into my second point. Because when we're talking about suffering, what we have to keep in mind is the idea of perseverance. We have to persevere. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I mentioned some of this at, my, at the members meeting, but I do want to go over a part of it again. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Too many Christians have stopped running. And too many people have quit the race. Uh, our theme for the next 12 months or so is run the race. Run the race. I was, um, I was out running. This was, I don't know, it was probably about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. But I was out running, and um, I, I, definitely as I get older, like some days when I just start to run, I just like know it, it's either going to be a good run or it's going to be a challenging run, all right? And I went out, and sometimes I'm like, okay, today... 
I'm going to go fast, or today I'm going to take it easy. So I kind of had a mindset, I'm going to try to do pretty good today. So I'm out there running. I'm running at a pretty good clip. And in the distance, I see someone else running. And I can tell that they're running at a pretty good clip. So, but I'm, I'm catching up to him. And so I finally get up to him, and then I say uh, the three words that every runner says when you're coming up behind someone. Do you guys know what those three words are? On your left, all right? On your left. So I yell that out, because that means you're supposed to move over so that the person can. Walkers don't understand that, by the way. <laughs> they really don't, OK? Uh, ever since the, you know, uh, and it was really, this is almost like a side note, but once COVID hit, like, last, last March uh, of 2020, like, you go out walking and, and, or running, and, like, people see you, and it's like, they, like, get, like, 15 feet away or something like that. I'm not kidding you. It was like, for, like, the last year or so, like, people see you, and they just, they just automatically get out of the way. <clears throat> but now people are kind of g going back to, to regular. So, you, you know, on your left, that means move out of the way. Because, you know, it's, it, you can freak some people out, too, if you don't say something. So, anyway, I say that. As I'm passing him, he looks over to me, and he's like, you steal something? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and it took me a split second to figure out what he meant. But he meant like I was running so fast, he's like, did you steal something, right? Because I'm, he, he's going fast, but I'm going faster, right? But guess what that did? That like, I'm like, that was a compliment, right? Like I'm going so fast, like did you steal something? I ended up running like the fastest time that I had run in like three years, okay? In part because I was like, okay, I don't want him to catch me. <laughs> I passed him and now I really have to make sure he has no doubt that he can't pass me again, right? Um, now, when I ran, I ran in high school. I didn't run in college, but I ran in high school. I did have a couple goals. There's actually different strategies for running cross country, but one of my goals was never be passed in the second half of the race. Never be passed in the second half of the race. Because I wanted to make sure that, you know, as I got to the end, that I was going as fast as I could, and then I didn't, have to, didn't go out too quickly, but I didn't, you know, didn't go out too slow or whatever. Um, and so I made it my goal, and, and it was also a challenge. So if anyone was coming up on me, I'm like, oh, remember? You know, that's what I'm telling myself. Like, one of my goals is don't be passed. Don't be passed. So, it, I mean, it happened a handful of times, but it, it, it rarely happens. Um, so that was one of my goals. Why? Because I wanted to make sure that I ran the entire race well. A lot of times guys start out, Girls start out cross country, and like they can, be, anyone can be first just about for the first 500 yards or 200 yards, right? And then phew, they just fail. Sometimes you, you get to some hills. There's a brutal hill down at Sioux Passage. Um, they actually have nicknamed it Man Maker. Everybody that is ever running cross country uh, in this area knows Man Maker, and it's like the first 100 yards is flat, and then you run up this hill that feels like a 25 degree angle for about a quarter of a mile and you run up it twice throughout the race. And, and people, usually by the second time, there are some people who are just walking up it. They started out too fast. They didn't pace themselves. So I want to make sure that I run the entire race well. Friends, we need to make sure we run the entire race well. The entire race. We can start well, but we're called to finish well. And... I know I shared this part too, but when I was leaving church a few, a few weeks ago, right before the members meeting, 
um, I, I knew the ladies had their Bible study going on. And so I was kind of poking my head around the corner to see how that was going. And, and I saw someone um, sitting in the hallway on the ground. And she kind of, uh, you know, motioned to me that, that she wasn't feeling good. But so she was just sitting outside and just listening to the word. But here's that, that, that struck me because this person, even though they weren't feeling good, wanted to hear the word. They wanted to hear the word and they wanted to grow. I mean, to me, that's running the race. And sometimes, y'all, like, you might not feel good. You might not feel like doing certain things. You might feel a little run down. And it's easy for us just to stop running. But that's not an option for us. We want to run, and we want to run well. We want to finish strong. And one of my other goals was to make my second half of the race stronger than my first half. Didn't always happen, but I wanted to be consistent. You know, you want to, they talk about like running at a pace, right? You want to set a good pace, and each of your miles should be about the same pace. And what happens sometimes is like new believers get saved, right? And they just like tear off, and it's like, it's like they're running this like 100-yard dash with everything they got, which, I mean, that can be exciting, right? But you have to realize that, I mean, you have to get into a, a, a tempo pace that can be maintained. It can be maintained. And probably, especially if you got saved later in your life, you realize, like, at first, when you, you can easily burn out as a new believer if you're not careful because you're doing this thing, you're doing that thing, you're doing this thing, and you're like, wow, that's, you know, you get burnt out. You have to learn to pace yourself. You want a good pace, a pace that pushes you, a, a, a pace that makes you depend on the Lord, a pace that makes sure that, that you're leaning on Him, not a pace that you can just keep on your own, but a pace that He sets that you follow after Him. Friends, some of us, myself included, we're in the second half of the race, okay? We're in the second half. But let, let's finish strong. Let's finish strong. Like, you've made it this far, but you haven't made it all the way. So, let's finish strong. One of the signs that you're saved, it's kind of interesting when you think about it, um, you know, one of the signs that you're saved is, is you persevere to the end. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At the very end, verse 23, he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, who, whose job is it to persevere to the end? Ours and God's, right? Like, it's ours. But what does it say here? He will surely do it. What is he going to surely do? It says right there in verse 23, sanctify you completely. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to do it all the way until Jesus comes back. So, yes, there's, there's our work, but there's his work. And his work is much greater than ours work. So we press on, we trust in God's work in our life. Okay, it's not always fun and pleasant work that he does. We already talked about that. But friends, he says it here. It's a sanctifying work. A sanctifying work. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. That, I mean, that's purify. That's make holy. That's set apart. Of course, that's not always going to be a pleasant experience. Of course, there's going to be suffering involved. But if you want this to be true, 
then you're saying, I want suffering to be true. You might not like that, but it's accurate. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is the work that God is doing. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Look what Paul says through the Holy Spirit to the Philippians in verse 6. And I am sure of this. What is he? I mean, he's sure of it, right? I am sure of this. So he's confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he, why can Paul say that? Not because he has faith in the Philippians, but because he has faith in God. That God will finish the work that he started in the Philippians. Look at 1 Corinthians. Same idea, 1 Corinthians 1. This is what he says in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end? He's going to sustain you to the end, friends. That's his work. That's his work. He's the sustainer. Go back to verse 7, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. And then look what it says, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear the judgment. We're going to, we might get to it. I don't know if we will. We probably won't today, but um, I've got it here. We don't have to fear the judgment. Do we have to fear it? We don't have to fear the judgment. Why? Because we are guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. The other scripture we just said was blameless. Guiltless and blameless. That's not from us. That's from God himself. That's through the work of Jesus Christ, of him pouring out his grace upon us, so that we are guiltless and blameless. We are justified sanctified, and the Bible even says in the past tense, glorified. That's how complete the work of Christ is in our lives. So much so that Paul can say in Romans 8, you are glorified. Why? Because from God's perspective, the whole thing is complete and finished. It, it's, it's a done deal. There's no undoing the justification. There's no undoing the sanctification. There's no undoing the glorification. Friends, if you are in Christ, these things are yours. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. So if you're beating yourself up and living under a spirit of condemnation, that ain't from God. That's from the enemy himself. So quit living under that spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Live under the spirit of freedom, the spirit of holiness. That is from Christ. One more verse. Look at 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What kind of inheritance do we have? It says it right there. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's un unfading, and God's keeping it. He's got your name on it. It's written. In heaven, it's there for you. And what does it say in verse 5? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? How are you being guarded? By God's power. Not by your might, not by your strength, not by your doing, 
God preserves his own. God perseveres his own. That's what it says, right? How does he do it? He says right there, you're being guarded through faith. And what is it that we are being guarded through faith for? For a salvation ready to be revealed. Part of judgment, actually, is a judgment of salvation. It will be revealed on judgment day who is saved and who is not. Now we, we can see external. God knows the heart. We don't. There will be a judgment of salvation where it will be revealed for every person. Make sure you have the salvation now because on that day, it's too late. All of this, to me, leads to the question, why is there persecution? Why, is, why, why, do, why do we get, sometimes the suffering comes from the outside? Well, I mean, the, the simple answer is that the persecutors, they hate God. That's really what it boils down to. They hate God. Look at John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I mean, what do we learn in this passage? Many things, but a few of them is one. I mean, the world hates Jesus. Was, was he persecuted on this earth? They hate Jesus. What does it say? Know that it has hated me. We also find out that the world loves its own. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Are you of the world? Hopefully not. If you're a believer, you're not. So guess what? The world hates others. If you're not of the world, it hates you. And we find out that it persecuted Jesus. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? Yes. Yes, they did. So, it's not that they hate you. I mean, they do hate you, but it's not that they hate you. They might. That's not the driver. They hate God. They hate Jesus. They hate who's inside of you, the Holy Spirit. They hate what you are. They hate what you stand for. Friends, you know, your life is a statement of everything they're against. And your life is a statement of everything they don't believe in. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it easier for us, but at least it helps us understand. Remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood. And if you're with God, you become a target. You know, we tell our prospective deacons, um, men that are being uh, considered for the position, we tell them, you know, if you take the position, if you take this church office of deacon, you will have a target on your back. Because Satan loves to take out those in leadership, those in church offices. Why? Because think of how much more damage he can do by taking out key people in positions of leadership, especially the church. But listen, friends, brothers and sisters, every believer has a target on their back. The day you got saved, 
2 Corinthians 5 says what? New creation, right? New creation. And then Satan's like, okay, we got another one. We got a target. You made the list, okay? The naughty list of Satan. And you've got a target on your back, and he wants to take you out. And he doesn't play fair. Look at Paul in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. You all know the story, but I want you to see it. Verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. This is Acts 9. And asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now think about that for a minute. Just a second ago, I was saying that, that Jesus was persecuted. I think some of you were like, was he really? Uh, well, it says it right here. Right? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But think about that for a minute. How did Paul persecute Jesus? Jesus was no longer on the earth. He had, he had died on the cross. He had risen from the grave. He was in heaven glorified. How was Paul persecuting him? Because it's really simple. You persecute the groom, you persecute the bride. So they came after, they were coming, by coming after us, they were coming after Jesus. By coming after Jesus, they were coming after us. It's a package deal. Thankfully, it's a package deal because guess what? You want to be identified with Jesus. Okay. Last time I checked, his army wins. His rule reigns. And he's already seated on the throne. So let's make sure we're on that side with Jesus. But friends, my point is this. You're in good company. You're in good company. Anytime you get mentioned with Jesus, you're doing pretty good. So yes, you're going to face persecution. We are going to face it. We are facing it. And we're in good company because that's what our Savior faced. My, you know, my son, uh, my second oldest son, uh, his teacher sent an email and uh, they ha I, I actually don't even know what this assignment was, honestly. But what I did see was that it was a clip of Jonathan Edwards' uh, famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I think they had to choose like one of these clips and then talk about it or write a little essay on it. But um, I couldn't let an email uh, about Jonathan Edwards, especially uh, going to my second oldest son because he was actually named, his middle name is after Jonathan Edwards, so I couldn't let that email go by without re replying to the teacher, you know, about Jonathan Edwards because he's, Jonathan Edwards is one of my heroes. Um, it's interesting because that's his famous sermon it, it drives me crazy whenever, like, little excerpts, you know. Think about it. If you just walked in on my sermon for any 10 minutes of the sermon, you could walk away with some different thoughts because you kind of need the whole context of the sermon to understand any 10 minutes with, within the sermon. So I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of, like, splicing up sermons or excerpts or things like that. And I even had to read an excerpt of his sermon. And, of course, the ex excerpt normally kind of makes him look to be like this awful mean guy, right? Not true at all. But here's the thing that's interesting. So he writes this sermon, and he preaches it at his church. That kind of makes sense. And guess what the response was? Nothing. 
no response. But then he goes, he goes to a different town that had been cold to the gospel. They were like, almost like character, characteristically known as being cold to the gospel. And he preaches the same exact sermon. Now, if you don't know Jonathan Edwards, some of the caricature of him is that he would literally just stand in the pulpit and, and just read from his manuscript. Almost monotone. There, I think they're stretching the truth a little bit there. Um, but he wasn't the most flamboyant or passionate. So if you can imagine him at this church that he was basically a guest speaker, somewhat monotone, reading this uh, sermon that he had prepared, and what happens? Revival breaks out and ends up essentially sweeping the nation, right? That was the beginning of one of the great revivals. Well, why is it that his church, no response? Other church, response. Like, why is that? Because his congregation didn't receive the word. Like, they heard the word, but they didn't receive the word. Same word, same delivery, different results. Like, we need to make sure, you all need to make sure, like, you're, you're hearing the word, but you got to make sure you believe it. You got to make sure you receive it. You got to make sure it's doing its work here. Because you, you, there's many conservative churches out there that many people are in for many years, and sadly, many of those people are going to hell. You can hear the gospel week after week after week after week after week, but you have to respond to it in faith. You have to receive it. You have to believe it. You have to trust in Christ. Knowing that you have to trust in Christ for salvation is not the same as trusting in Christ for salvation. Okay? You have to trust in Christ. Just knowing about it, that's great. You got some head knowledge. But you have to trust in Christ for salvation. You have to look to him for your salvation. Let me ask you this. What are we called to do? We're called to disciple the nations, right? Matthew 28. Let's look there. Verse 18, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who's got all the authority? Okay, good. Go therefore, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the task that we're given, right? Disciple the nations. Then he, then he explains what that means. What does discipling the nations mean? Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're to disciple the nations. Guess what? What is Satan trying to do? Disciple the nations. Think about it for a minute. Satan, the best he can do is mimic. He can mimic. Kind of, I mean, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be number one in a wrong way, but he wanted to be like God. But he mimics. But how does he disciple the nations? Through deception, right? He teaches a false gospel, many false gospels. But he does it through deception. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. So what does it say? That what do we get? What do we gather from this passage that Satan was doing? He was deceiving the nations, right? That he might not deceive the nations any longer. Well, what, what do we find out? He's been deceiving the nations. What is he doing right now? He's deceiving the nations. He's the, the deceiver. He gets us to believe things that aren't true. Sadly, he does that even for believers who have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. We should have our spiritual armor on. We should know the Word of God better than that to be duped. Let's be honest, we've all been duped. We've all been duped. Some of us might be being duped right now in different areas of our life. But he gets us to believe things that aren't true. I mean, he's a teacher. A teacher of lies and deception. But he's a great teacher because he gets people to believe those lies and deception. That's why we got to have the armor of God on. That's why we need to know the word backwards and forwards. That's our sword to do battle against the enemy. That's why we have the shield of faith that protects us from his fiery arrows. I mean, he's just shooting them at each one of us over and over again. Those fiery arrows that Ephesians 6 talks about. What do we use for protection? I mean, we have the, the, the shield. We have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of truth. I mean, we need the full armor. If you don't have the full armor, then you'll be exposed at one spot. That's where he's going to aim. He'll aim, okay? If I'm doing battle and I see the guy doesn't have a helmet on, guess where I'm going to aim for with my sword? The head. If I'm doing battle, he doesn't have a breastplate on, guess where I'm going for? The breast. That's where I'm aiming at. I'm going for a place of weakness. That's why he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Not just one piece. Okay? So, I mean, some of you, you, you know the word well. You got, you got the sword. But do you got the breastplate of righteousness? Do you have the holy living to back that up? Do you have the belt of truth? You got to have the whole armor to do battle, friends. And Satan, he doesn't play fair. He'll strike anywhere. He does not play fair. So you've got to have the armor on. You've got to realize that he will do whatever he possibly can to deceive you. Nothing is off limits. So we have to be prepared. We have to do what Paul says over and over and over and over and over in Ephesians 6. We've got to stand firm. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm, he says. That's the whole section of the whole armor of God. Stand firm. Think about it. Like, why do we do what we do as a church? Like, why do we do the reality conference? That's just, oh, let's just throw some kids in a van, you know, drive for 10 hours in a van. That's not fun for most adults, okay? <clears throat> Sorry, youth, okay? Not, not knocking youth, just who wants to be cooped up in a van at all at any point for 10 hours? We're trying to build the kingdom. We're trying to build the kingdom. That's the task that we've been given Disciple of the nations, right? Build the kingdom. So we're trying to do that internally and externally. Same thing with the fall party. Like, okay, that was great with the pony rides and the horses and the face painting. I mean, that's good, right? Those, those are like the, the means to the end. Those are means to get the gospel out. 
That's the means to do it, the fall party, to, to, to bring people to hear the gospel. And, and if you just think about the fall party for a minute, like I, I pulled up, I think, around 11, 11.30 yesterday, and there was already people out and decorations were going up. Like It was like a lot of work for a lot of us. And then I came back at, I think, 3 o'clock, and there was, there was even more people here. Things were already set up. It took a lot of work yesterday. But it is a beautiful picture of each of the parts of the body playing the role that God wants them to play. It really took all of us to pull that off yesterday. And that's not exaggerating. Like, we needed every single person to pull that off. And really, the list is a mile long. But that, that, that's us. That's that picture that we get in the life group of the book that we're going through, that we went through a couple of years ago, like of, of the evangelism and the discipling, like as a church coming together, doing it. Friends, that was the biggest single outreach event in Liberty's history, okay? <clears throat> 350 to 400 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, okay? There was Mormons here yesterday, and they heard the gospel. There was unbelievers here yesterday, and they heard the gospel. And I have prayed multiple times, and I hope you all are praying, did pray, and continue to pray, that, that God takes that word, yes. right? And does his work with it, that it's not snatched away, that it bears fruit. I mean, I think we're on, 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 on the cusp of doing even greater things. Yes. Let's continue that work. Let's build the kingdom internally. That's like the reality conference. That's life groups. That's Bible studies. Externally, that's like the fall party. That's like IGY. I mean, you get, you get different mixtures there of internal and external. Sometimes ministries cross. They got an internal component and an external component. But we're wanting to build the kingdom. How are we doing it? Brick by brick. Brick by brick. So good things are here and good things and more good things are coming. All right? Get on the train if you're not on it. The engine is chugging. All right? Let's stay faithful and persevere. This was just my introduction. <laughs> but I will conclude it here for us today. And I just want to encourage us to bring it full circle back to the suffering. Friends, some of us need to better develop that theology of suffering. And if we want to continue with what God is doing, we have, we have to take God and everything that he gives us completely, fully holy. It's the whole package when it comes to Jesus. You don't get to say, oh, I want this 5% here and this 10% here and this 8% here and this 20%. You get, if you get Jesus, you get 100% of him. Everything that he offers, you got to take it all. Okay. Take it or leave it is really the offer. You don't get to slice and dice Jesus however you want. If you do that, you'll be disappointed on Judgment Day. So let us remain faithful and let us press on. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of how great you are and how powerful you are. You are seated on the throne. You're ruling, and no one and no thing, no ruler or authority or demonic power can even make you move one slight bit off that throne. 
Thank you, Father. All the power is yours. All the glory is yours. And Lord, we do pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, yesterday we saw, we saw that with the fall party, with the gospel going out. Man, Lord, how exciting. For 350 to 400 people hear the gospel through the efforts of all of us. It took, it took this church to make that happen. Everyone shares in the fruit of that, God. To you be the glory. It's your fruit. So cause the growth, Lord. Water it and water it and cause the growth. Let it bear much fruit. God, continue your work in us and through us. Lord, I pray for those that might be suffering uh, of different ailments or natures or affliction. One, I pray you'd heal them. In Jesus' name, I ask for your healing power and spirit to come upon them and remove whatever it is, God. You can do it. We know it. We believe it. We ask for it. If you see fit not for this season to do so, then let them continue to trust you and walk in obedience and faithfulness. Let them continue to seek after you with everything. Let them know that you are still good, that you still love them, that you still care for them. Let them see that you are glorifying yourself in their lives through their walk of obedience. And we thank you, God, that you are the God who perseveres us. You persevere us. You keep us to the end. And so I pray for each person here that each one of us would make it all the way across that finish line. All the way. And that we would run the race and we would run it well. Whether we're in the beginning of the race, in the middle of the race, or towards the end, we would run and we would run to win the race for your glory. We pray this with the authority you give us in your son Jesus who saves us, who cleanses us, who is awesome and amazing to us. He gives us his riches beyond all measure. In Jesus' name, amen.